house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that will protest in favor of lesbian nuns. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we usually talk about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or other, it all went wrong. Today, though, we are coming at you with a bonus episode about the awards aspirations of the films that screened at this year's New York Film Festival. I am your host, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with the Alice Tully to my Walter Reed, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Mary, we love you. We reject this blasphemy. (laughs) Okay, it does feel like Mary, we love you happened a billion years ago because the New York Film Festival takes a long time. It's nine years long. And so the very first thing that happened was they screened Benedetta and it was protested by a bunch of incredibly campy, I would say, Catholic protesters who... Did IFC, more. I I I I think IFC is running a very good publicity campaign for that movie. Is IFC? If that is the case, it would make a ton of sense because no nothing brought more publicity, and especially like sold that movie to the people who would want to see Benedetta better than this tiny little group of sad Catholics holding up signs that said. Mary, we love you. I have put out this call before. All I'm saying is I'm not saying to steal things. I am also not saying to, like, financially enrich uh, conservative activists. But what I'm saying is if I could just get my hands on that sign that says, Mary, we love you, just so I could frame it and put it in my apartment, I would be very, very grateful. Because... That is All camp. I'm saying is three Mama. years from now, I will still be quote-tweeting things with Mary, we love you, we reject this blasphemy, and four people will know what I'm saying, and those are the four people for me. I am one of those four people. That is, Mama, exactly. that is camp. That is, uh, and the thing of it is, I didn't get to see the screening of Benedetta. That's one of the, the handful of movies at this festival that I would have wanted to see, but like circumstances aligned it against me. So I'm still waiting to see Benedetta. The new, this is the new Paul Verhoeven movie that you may have heard of from its Venice premiere, uh, is all about Can. lesbian nuns. Yes. Oh, it was Can. It wasn't Venice. You're right. Yes. God, we've been hearing about this movie for even longer than I thought. Yes. Well, because this movie was filmed like, Several years ago. This wasn't just like delayed because of the pandemic. It was delayed before the pandemic because Paul Verhoeven, who is uh, uh, an elderly man, still uh, quite a rascal, uh, made this movie, broke like his hip and couldn't do post-production on it. And so they were still going to hold it for Cannes, and then the pandemic happened, and then it finally gets released. We've been hearing about this movie for a long time. Well, it's finally at least creeping into festivals. Does it have a 2021 release date yet? Do we know? IFC first weekend of December. I see. So, yeah. I will show up with my Mary, we love you, we reject this blasphemy t-shirt. 
T-shirts, I want a tote. Like, I am a very big fan of a, of a cheeky tote, and I, I would accept any and all tote bags with that sign uh, printed we on We want it. Alamo Draft House <gasps> themed cocktails. Yes. What is in the Mary We Love You re- we, oh, we Reject This Blasphemy cocktail? Well, I am if, if, it's, if it's Mary, you want it to be like a takeoff on the Bloody Mary, right? So like a Mary We Love You mm. is a little bit more of an inviting. What would make in a Bloody Mary like a little bit more inviting? Perhaps a... Uh, um, I don't know. Which is it blasphemy that you would have to reject to have a flavored vodka in a Bloody Mary? That might be too much. That that would be the blasphemy. Yes, <laughs> right, right. Some sort but of the uh, we love you is like it's one of those crazy um, Bloody Marys that has like a hamburger on it. Right, like right, like uh, three bacon strips and uh, uh-huh. right a quarter pounder with cheese, sort of balanced on top of the of the Mary We Love You cocktail. Right, yes, get on it, Draft House. Something we need this. We need this in our life. So yeah, so uh, fantastic publicity for Benedetta at the very beginning of the festival, and good for them. Like I said, that's one of the handful. Well, let's sort of get past the. Movies we're not really going to be talking about either because neither one of us have seen them. So actually, we should lay out. I was able to attend a bunch of screenings in person for this one. And Chris, unfortunately, uh, not being a New York City local <laughs> Apply yet. for access when it seemed like it was going to be virtual. And then they really and I sort did get of... to see two things virtually. It's fine. Right. So Chris saw a couple things virtually. I saw a bunch of things in person. This really felt like for, you know, I'll do... A deference to Sundance, who, like, I was really glad I was able to do a bunch of online screenings with Sundance. And, like, with recognition of the position, the tough position that TIFF was in with having to do this sort of hybrid, uh, you know, virtual slash in-person, this did feel like the first time I was back in a film festival environment since before the pandemic. And it felt really good. And I was worried that I was going to feel really nervous being back in like in-person screening, but they were very good about checking vaccination statuses and they were very good about making sure people kept their masks on. There were a couple, uh, Film Society of Lincoln Center. Uh, I'm not sure if they were volunteers or whether they were paid. There was also, by the way, a lot of uh, action with the, uh, the unionized employees at Lincoln Center who we are fighting the for employees of, uh, Lincoln Center and their unionization efforts. Uh, they deserve a fair and equitable contract because, holy God, they do really good work there. And I can certainly attest to that. They were very good about making sure people kept masks on, including um, at least one uh, New York City, longtime New York City uh, personality who I shouldn't name uh, was told to have his mask put put his mask on. And I heard uh, he left in a huff. So. That's fun. Uh-huh. I have I have a guess on who this is, but you're going to tell me offline. We'll talk about it offline. Um but I was I felt very comfortable. I felt very uh sort of taken care of in these screenings. So, good on you New York Film Festival, good on you staff at Lincoln Center. So, a few things we've already seen uh that you can go back to both our TIFF and our Sundance episodes f- for whatever assemblage of these. Uh Bergman Island Chris Files' yes. favorite movie of the year so far. Yes. 
Flea, which we both love. Which we both loved. Yeah. Passing, which we saw out of Sundance. Saw out of Sundance. I was a little bit mixed on it, but I still really love Ruth Negga's performance in that. And I Ruth Negga is amazing in it. And um, the way that that movie has been received in subsequent festivals to Sundance, specifically at New York, I'm more optimistic about her awards chances going forward than I was. I think it's by no means a sure thing, but like I feel like her name is going to be in these conversations. Well, originally it seemed like they were going to push her for lead because, like, whatever. I I hate having category placement conversations. But, like, <laughs> there, there's some gray area, you know. I think both kind of make sense. But it does sound like they're pushing her for supporting. Um, I think she's probably that movie's best shot. I do, too. Um, I do, too. And then Petite Maman, which we both loved out of. Uh, it was my favorite TIFF movie, yeah. Yeah, we both loved Out of Tiff. It is unfortunately not the French submission. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I, or, well, it's not on their short list, I should say. As of I was going to say, have they selected something yet? They selected their three. And I think they're making a huge mistake. Justice for Celine Siama, who keeps getting screwed uh, by these um, selection committees. Um, all right. Well, we'll I get think to... it was probably their safest route to uh, winning, and uh, they didn't include it. Well, well, when we get to that point, definitely let me know, because I actually missed the news about what three movies, so I'm very, okay. very curious now. Uh, Joe, what else did you not get to see? So, we mentioned Benedetta. Um, I didn't see another movie that had premiered at Cannes, uh, Ahad's Knee, which... Uh, which I did see out of Toronto. What did you think of it? Uh, I really liked it. I like Nadad Lapid's film. Uh, Lapid's films. Uh, didn't like it as much as I really liked Synonyms. Uh, two years ago, um, it was shortlisted with Israel, and it is not their submission. If you've seen the movie, you can imagine why, considering how yeah. um, uh, condemnatory it is uh, towards the Israeli government and the Israeli military. Um, but it's a good movie. Check it out when you can. I believe it's coming out this year. Fantastic. Uh, I did not see the Japanese film um, Drive My Car. Uh, I had to see that. I've heard nothing but great things. I think with trying to fit in New York Film Festival screenings around my day job, a 179-minute movie was not the easiest of uh, of slots to sort of uh, work into my day, unfortunately. Um I did not end up seeing The Souvenir Part 2 because I, to date, have still not seen The Souvenir Part 1. I promise I will get to it. I will promise you I'll get to both of them. You gotta see it for Tom Burke's performance. People really liked Souvenir Part 2. I heard nothing but good things about that. So, uh, good on that. I wait, I'm wait. i gonna wait on seeing Dune until I can see it uh, in an IMAX, essentially. I didn't see a ton of value in um, you know, going to see this thing at Walter Reed Theater, no shade to the Walter Reed, um, when I could just wait two weeks and see it in IMAX. Like, that feels like a trade-off I was more than willing to make. And this way I was able it's to weird they didn't screen it home. for press at some non-Lincoln Center theater in an IMAX. I think in a, perhaps a non-COVID situation, they might have, but I think... Mm. Keeping everything at one venue for press Where was they probably a priority. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, although I will say, the Lincoln Square Theater has been checking vaccine status now, which I am happy with. I'm happy with all movie theaters who are actually uh, being rigorous about that. And then the last thing that I just sort of, 
I didn't see because I didn't think it was going to be a factor in award season, and I figured I could wait on it and see it later, is Memoria. And now I totally regret that because people <laughs> are freaking out about how good that movie is. Okay, but also I think if they had made the news about its, you know, um, its release plan before the press, they made that news as the press screening was happening. I, I talked to I talked to friends who like got out of the press screening and they were like, I tweeted one nice thing about Memoria and I've been inundated with like, but what about this rollout? And they're just like, what rollout? What are we talking about? What's going on? What happened? Right. So I I think that probably would have been a jam packed press screening for people trying to get a chance to see it. I. So explain the rollout thing a little bit, because our listeners may not have heard this. The plan for the movie, which is going to make it essentially a little bit more along the line of Director Joe's uh, installation work, is that they say it will only be playing at one theater at a time with an indefinite rollout. And it will never be available on a streaming or uh, physical media of any kind. I mean, I definitely, like, especially right now during COVID, I'm like, absolutely experiment with release plans. Like, sure. you know, it feels like this is the time to figure out what works on a movie by movie basis. I think, you know, yeah, access is absolutely important, but this is just one movie. Yeah. You know, um, it also kind of runs counter to my specific way of watching movies nowadays, which is, um, stock out a very unpopulated screen and go seeing that this rollout seems very much uh designed towards like bottlenecking screening mm-hmm. so you're gonna have like a f- like a small handful of screenings that will all probably be very full and that's kind of exactly the opposite of how i want things to I be i mean maybe not on a tuesday at you know one that's o'clock gonna be whatever. my best right that's gonna be my best option um, and we'll see where it where it screens but yeah. like i am kind of fascinated by it it is same, it feels same. like this hybrid between his installation work and his you know uh, more direct cinema i am highly highly skeptical that people won't have a way to see it yes um yes perhaps through non uh not the means we want right. people to see it because yeah. this only applies to the u.s release as far as we know because right. all of its international rights are with movie which is a streamer right <laughs> um Right. So, like, so yeah, I'm get a get a VPN and and go to town. I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I I'm very curious to see what the reality of it is like, because it seems possible that you know. I I think I feel leak like online. Yeah. I, it is the Cambodian submission. So are they just going to not? Are they just going to hope that Academy members go and see it in the one week it plays New York and the one week it plays in L.A. and not, you know, provide screenings or screeners for it? So it is the Cambodian submission. I was under the impression that a lot of this was in the English language, but I guess I was mistaken. I guess maybe Tilda Swinton. uh, um, I was under the impression it was in... um, very little language and that there's not much dialogue but uh, i see i see yeah wikipedia says it's always possible that if, if there's not you know yeah if there's not enough that this could be one of those movies that the academy deems ineligible right who knows i'm interested in the fact that sort of on a theoretical uh, basis that if we if 
sort of independent and international cinema are going to be as specialized as they are. And sort of if the if the movie marketplace is going to be so starkly divided between like the biggest of the big and then anything else is just like by definition small, then to have a rollout that sort of gooses the demand in this way, I'm interested mm-hmm. to see if that works and how that works. Because that could be, you know, that's da- that's data points that you want to sort of uh, consider for how we're how we're going to theatrically distribute smaller movies, independent movies, that kind of thing. Also, going as much as as many movies like good, bad, indifferent things you've never heard of, things you have heard of, and then they're gone immediately because they just fall into the soup of streaming and yeah. nobody talks about them or watches them. Like, yeah. I, I'm certainly someone who is all for, you know, access and better programming. Right. But, like, I'm also really into, like, how can we make any movie feel special right now? Right, um, right. And this definitely, you know, that does that for sure. Yeah. So, all right. So now let's move on to the things that uh, that we did see. And I'm going to sort of go in general order of the way that things screened for me. So the very first thing that I saw at uh, this year's New York Film Festival, I was incredibly excited to see, which because the because it was the Palm Door winner, I uh, was uh, Titan, which we are both huge Raw fans. I think we're probably both people who, the second we left Raw, we were excited for whatever Julia de Cournau would do next. So incredibly excited! I heard about this project. And then I immediately decided I'd heard some rumblings about like, you won't believe what this movie does. And that was like, that's it. That's all I need to know. That's all I want to know. I never watched a trailer. I sort of stayed radio silent on everything. I didn't read the can reviews. Uh, my, uh, my physical senses apparently shut themselves off when Chris, you managed to throw in a reference to the plot of this movie in our counselor episode, because I absolutely, you're like, I'm so sorry. I spoiled that part of Titan for you. And I was like, you did what in the when? And you were like, uh, never mind. I was like, nope, nope. Changing the, changing the subject. I am Homer Simpson. I am backing into a bush Yeah, because I cannot believe, I feel like this movie's been processed enough. It is in theaters right now. Yes. It's, it's dying in theaters right now. But I feel like we can talk about some plot details about this movie. I think we can. Okay. I was shocked you hadn't heard about the car fucking. I was too, but I was so happy because I really got to experience this thing incredibly. The only thing I had sort of heard was that there was like gender stuff. And I was like, literally, yeah. that was the extent of it. But like... That's not the whole thing, but like neither is the car fucking. The car fucking's not the only thing about this movie either. It is the flashiest thing that happens, and it is, you and know, it happens in the first like fifteen minutes. But like, it's not even the most eye popping thing that happens, or the most like, because I, I don't even think that's particularly like hard to watch. Like, there are certain things in this movie that like you really do have to like hide your face from, um, violence wise. I think it's significantly less gory than Raw is, but it is violent but well and also it's filmed in a way that like in really like classic horror movie terms where like the vision like you know something's about to happen i'm specifically talking about the thing with the bathroom by a nose teton <laughs> god you're such a weirdo um i love it yes it's 
it's intense. There's a lot of intensity, but it's also the plot really like goes to some interesting places that you wouldn't necessarily think it's going to go. I think it brings in some sort of like allusions to Claire Denis in a few places and it will remind Cronenberg, you obviously i mean yes julia de Curnow talks about how much she loves Cronenberg. absolutely and there are certain parts of this movie where like it has will have detoured into a thing that like it was very not much not doing in the first maybe half hour of the movie and it's like you're so enraptured into what the movie is doing now and you almost have to like at few times i sort of mentally kind of stepped back and you're like but this is also still happening. Like this also thing is like still going on. Like this woman still, you know, had sex with that car and there are after effects and there are consequences. And um, as much as I gasped over the like more shocking elements of that movie, you know, like Julie DeGurnon really knows how to fuck with you. But I was gasping about, human elements that's in it that like uh is particularly one moment i wouldn't want to spoil because it builds up to uh, it's building up through basically the entire movie right um and then when it happens you know and it's it's nothing violent or gory it is just human level connection and emotion Uh um i feel like we're still being you know decently vague about this but we should say that like the lead uh actress in the film is uh, agatha Roussel, I again am terrible at French pronunciations, um, who is playing a uh, person who goes through a few like identity shifts as this movie goes along and comes across a semi grieving father who is lost, like literally, like has a, had a son who was presumed murdered or kidnapped or missing and uh these two characters sort of find each other and connect in ways that you feel like initially you think you know what's going on because you've sort of seen you know movies what's the movie that Summersby is based on that like has um the martin Gare uh sort of story like there's Mm -hmm. elements of that but like it moves like these characters are also in and of themselves there's danger sort of lurking beneath them because we've seen what uh Alexia has done and also Vincent the father seems just in his like demeanor and the way he carries himself sort of capable of we always seem like he's injecting steroids he's trying to like sort of like you know bulk himself up and it's just like is this guy a violent guy could he be like could he you know react really angrily to you know learning some things are you know not the what he well, thinks he is they're both and... incredibly volatile because and they're opposites in complete in a lot of interesting ways and they're also parallels in completely different ways that are really interesting on a character level because alexia is kind of devoid of emotion, devoid of connection, which is like, it it explains her, you know, emotional attachment to machines. She, the movie opens with her, uh, like pestering her father and, uh, it results in a car accident that gets a metal plate put in her head. Um, yeah, by the way, me not knowing French at all really helped me not know about this movie. Cause like, I didn't even make the connection that Titan is titanium in French. Like (laughs) I didn't even make that connection. So like I was really flying blind. You thought it was a Titanic spinoff. I didn't know it could have been a name of some, yeah, 
That's exactly. Yeah, French Titanic. Yeah, would watch. Um, but then also Vincent Lindon's character is basically a raw nerve of emotion. He is like. He's uh, also if like she is the metal. He is the flesh because ooh. he is nothing but this body of muscle and flesh. But yeah. he is uh, emotional to the point of delusion. We should say where it's like he, uh, you know, is trying to be this tough exterior person, but really he is this emotional mess. He's like blubbering all the time. He yeah. is uh searching for this affection that Alexia uh reacts to violently because yeah. she can't process it. Um there's also like parallels of like he is this uber macho image of like maleness because yep. he has all these muscles and he's like very daddy. Very surprising that Gay Twitter has not lost its goddamn. They haven't found the movie yet, Chris. I guarantee you this is going to happen. He is like a hundred thousand gay daddy memes ready to get birthed, no pun intended, into the universe. <laughs> and But then you have Alexia who uh, despite, you know, the way that she goes through, you know, a gender presentation uh, transformation throughout the movie, we meet her as this, like, auto show girl where it's, like, yeah. fully emotional detachment of, like, sexualized female, right? Yes. Um. So, like, I, I think... Uh, the body horror of the movie, and I would even question calling this movie a horror movie. Me too. Um, uh, is kind of an extension of the like human dynamic that Julia DeCurnow is doing here. I think as far as an evolution as a filmmaker, I think it is fascinating that she makes this after Raw. Raw to me is a movie that's about sibling dynamics and yes. this is about parents and children in a way that mm-hmm. like i was very moved by i actually cried during this movie um fascinating tell me after we're done recording at what point because uh, i I'm cried curious. at the point that i said i was gasping at uh, a certain human uh gotcha thing that happens gotcha um yeah so okay but more to the point of our uh, scope what what's the situation with any kind of awards chances for this like no oh right i mean i i i see a troubled road ahead for this if it ends up being the french submission so it's one of the 3 one of the three. The other two are one is this popular, I guess, cop drama that was like a big box office hit in France. And the other is happening, the abortion drama that won the Golden Lion at Venice. Interesting. I um, just like my hunch is that it's going to be happening. Titan, I think I wonder if it would have gotten this far um in their submission process if it didn't have the palm i'm thrilled that it's there but i'm also skeptical (laughs) slash was rooting for petite maman um i was i wonder if like its best chance might be like an original screenplay thing however i will say if there was a real push for agatha roussel and vincent lindon i would be fully on board for it they are some of the best performances of the year I will also Oscar say that Oscar may not go for it, but they are doing incredible. 
incredible work in this movie. I think between the New York Film Festival premiere and, you know, making it into theaters now, the reactions and reviews that I'm seeing are like positive, but with reservations. There's, I'm seeing a lot more, like, it's not this like unreserved sort of like outpouring of extent ecstatic uh, reactions like there are uh-huh. you know people are i think and you know well within uh, uh, the rights to sort of like let's let's maybe unpack what's going on is this you know everything that we think it is and i think while i i think that's what good movies that's the reactions mm-hmm. that good movies do elicit i do feel like yeah everybody who watches this movie is gonna have a unique response to it but i think that's also the stuff of a movie that will eventually get the fuller picture of like how we appreciate it years down the line do you know what i mean so like i I, would not expect agree with you i would not expect titan to be like an oscar movie that rides to oscar nominations on the basis of an overwhelming wave of critical support unlike i would say another movie that we'll talk about later on uh in this discussion so um, I would also say because of what happened at the box office with this movie, which was A, not surprising, um, but B, I think a lot of people were very, very, very quickly writing this movie off because of its opening weekend. And my thing is, I think a lot of movies that are meant for adults that are going to be, that yeah. are positioned for the awards race are going to have similar troubles because yeah. of... Uh, what this fall is going to be. So I think in the end, that's not going to be one of the Anybody who's trying back. to glean anything from box office this year, I think is like, is playing a fool's game. Genuinely, right. honestly, like with very, very few exceptions. I feel like you can, everything is, has a big asterisk next to it. I think the fact that they're playing Titan in theaters and doing a theatrical opening at all is great, especially in, in not in this sort of like one week at the end of the year for awards consideration way, but like open it. In October, like yes, thank you, please, like don't make us wait uh, any longer. And I, and I was happy with that. Yeah. All right. So uh, uh, let's move on. Yeah, briefly, because I don't feel like this is going to be a ton of uh, implications. Is uh, and now we're moving into a bunch of movies that I've seen and Chris hasn't, so it'll be a little bit of a, a one-sided conversation. But um, I will have lots of questions for you. The worst person in the world. I really, really liked. This is going to be, damn, I believe. I'm so- fucking excited for this movie i think you're going to really enjoy it this is going to be norway's submission i believe for the international film category i'm really rooting for it this is uh uh how do we pronounce uh joe kim's name is it joe kim trier uh, i think it's it, i i believe uh, which like i've had some reservations about his movies yeah which has me maybe second guessing my excitement for this movie but i've been dying to see it this is the director of reprise and uh oslo 31 august and louder than bombs louder than bombs which i have not seen but i I have heard uh, very very bad things about um but this one has gotten had gotten really great reviews out of can as well and it stars renata rensev and Anders Danielson Lai. Now, Anders was also a big fave of ours in Bergman Island. He was, having been in both of these movies at New York Film Festival, he was a, uh, the talk of that first week, I think, in a lot of ways, in terms of performers. I also realized- We also can't stop talking about it because acting is his side hustle. He is a 
doctor. A doctor is a doctor. He's honey. a doctor. Um, yeah, he also played the main terrorist villain in 22 July and Paul Greengrass is 22 July, which he is terrifying yeah. in that. And I enjoyed that movie. He was also in Personal Shopper. Like, all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, oh yeah. I've seen this guy in some things. He's incredibly handsome. He is, um, in Bergman Island, he's quite likable if, like, with fuckboy tendencies, I would say, maybe. And High key fuckboy tendencies. What's that? High key fuckboy tendencies. And in Worst Person in the World, you f- sort of feel like that's the same box that he's going to be in. And then by the end of the movie, he emerges from that box in very interesting ways, I will say. And he that, clip that performance of him and Renata smoking into each other's mouths. I want to live <laughs> in it for the rest of my it's life. It's a really, really uh, sort of sexy movie in a lot of ways. It is mostly uh, Renata's character's story. She is the sort of you're supposed to see her as like the titular worst person in the world, but like the, I think the movie is almost a question. I think if you put a question mark at the end of that title, it would also work well. It was just like what. You know, what about this character? Is this how she feels about herself? Is this how, you know, the rest of the world sees her? Um, her relationship with uh, with Anders' character really goes through a, an evolution and it comes out at the end in an incredibly, I would say, emotional place. This is being distributed by Neon, which... No date yet, which is frustrating. Well, and I feel like uh, they were, they're probably going to maybe wait and see what the sort of Oscar prospects of this end up being. And they also have a very, very busy fall. So they could just do do a qualifying release for it so that it can get in. I want to take a look at this again because, like, yeah, they have this, uh, this fall. Currently, it's not even on their website. Right, because they're distributing Spencer, they've got Flea, they've got uh, Petite Maman, and they also have Memoria, right? Is that them? Yes, Titan. I thought they also had a documentary that I'm forgetting about. I think they have a COVID doc. Well, Ailey is Ailey, which rules. Right. And, oh yeah, they've got the COVID doc, the first wave, which like, I, I don't know, man. I, I I believe you that it's good, but like I don't know if I want to like volunteer myself for that level of anxiety. But you, you want to watch things like the worst person in the world right now? Yeah, worst person in the world is is great and lovely and wonderful and highly recommended. But um, I think yeah, I think it's Oscar prospects. If it if it ends up in international film, probably don't see it as a winner. I think a nomination would be the victory here because it's I think. To be an Oscar winner in international film, I think you have to have a little bit of that, like, but is it important? You know, is it saying anything important? And this is ultimately, it's it's a character study, and it's a relationship story. And, like, it excels at both of those things, I would say. But probably not going to be a contender to win. But again, if it gets nominated, I think that's a victory in and of itself. So... Um, What's next? Moving on, the big movie of the first week of the festival. This was the big uh, world premiere at New York Film Festival, which was uh, Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand and some gorgeous black and white photography and very sort of like stark set decoration. I think those are kind of the stars 
of the movie. I think Mm -hmm. I was a little bit underwhelmed sounds almost like bratty about it. It's just like, well, I was a little underwhelmed by Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Like, fuck you, guy. But like, (laughs) um, I don't, those were not the performances that I was impressed by. I think Francis's take, especially on Lady Macbeth, felt uh sort of neither here nor there in a way that like I, don't I was think kind I of saw anyone praising her. I think there was so much expectation because that was the casting that I thought was the most like that's a choice. That's a really interesting choice. I'm really fascinated to see what the Francis McDormand version of Lady Macbeth would be. And I think I'm still waiting to see <laughs> what that would be, unfortunately. Um Denzel Washington is not bad as Macbeth at all. I just don't think he, like, leaps off the screen and, like, knocks me out in the way that, like, again... When people were expecting him to be, like, the front runner after this movie dropped. I still think he has a fantastic shot at a nomination because he's Denzel Washington. The Academy loves him. This movie is absolutely still going to be pushed for major awards. It, again, looks gorgeous. And he's, you know, reciting some of the best, you know best-known monologues in, you know, literature, in the history of the world, right? So he's definitely in the contention. And honestly, if they push Francis McDormand in supporting, it's one of those roles that's big enough that, like, I, I think she could... I could see a world where she gets a nomination to, which I would be kind of bummed out by because... The best performance, the sort of like most across the board acclaimed performance that I saw from uh, everybody else's reviews was for Catherine Hunter, who plays the the witches, the weird sisters in uh, in the film. She plays sort of all three of them. It is fascinatingly interesting. Like the the, the I'm really choices excited that are to made. See this performance. I'm curious though because it's just the witches in Macbeth, right? They're not. It's not a huge presence in the movie. I'm curious to see if this will just be, like, a critic's thing or if, like, that could actually be, you know, a real contender. I think you there's know, a limit on like it. like the type of thing that it's, like, we with cooler taste than the Academy know that this performance is great and we'll be loud about it, but it's just not going to be on their radar at all. That's that's kind of where I'm hedging right now, especially, like I said, if they decide to push Francis McDormand in supporting, then I think that kills Catherine Hunter's chances dead, which is too bad. I think a brave... I could see, you know how like New York Film Festival has been like really, really sort of like intentionally bold with their choices these days. I could absolutely see them going Catherine Hunter for supporting actress this year, uh, in order to make a statement, which again, whether that will have an impact on the Oscars, we've seen those statement awards from New York Film Festival or not New York Film Festival, New York Film Critics. Jesus, I'm so stupid. Yeah. Um, New York Film Critics Circle. Uh, they've gone with Tiffany Haddish and uh, uh, Regina Hall in the past, and those things have not had their impact on the Oscars at all. But it's not always all about the Oscars. And sometimes, you know, an award has value in and of itself. And But I could definitely see them going for Catherine Hunter in that way, and that would be cool. I also thought Corey Hawkins was great as Macduff. Like, uh, genuinely, really, really enjoyed what he was doing and I don't know if there's – there's definitely enough of him to support a supporting campaign. But I don't know if he ends up being 
central enough to the impact of the story, if that makes sense. I think I think the impact of this movie is so much in the visuals that, like, unless you are a Denzel Washington or perhaps a Francis McDormand, you're probably not going to amass mm-hmm. awards talk. But, you know, you're I not going to be, be the story. But, like, it really just, like, the look of it is very striking. And so, yeah, definitely, like, go out and see for yourself. The next thing I saw... Oh, I loved it so much. So I saw, uh, um, I want to say Simon Baker, but it's not Simon Baker, of course. It is... um, Could you imagine? No. (laughs) What was his show on CBS? I don't care. (laughs) It was, no, it was the, he was the mentalist, right? He was the mentalist. Sean Baker's uh, Red Rocket, which is the film that had screened at Cannes. This was, is the one where Simon Rex, former MTV VJ... Uh, scary movie three star and uh, pornography legend. I don't know. Um, perhaps that's only in my own <laughs> sad little uh, adolescence. Anyway, he did some porn videos. He uh, solo porn videos. Anyway, we know. We know. Stars as a the former... collective we. I mean, I, that's not a dismissive. That's saying, oh, we're familiar. <laughs> oh, we got it. Oh, we've been new. Uh, plays a former porn star returning to his hometown on the Texas Gulf Coast. Tries to sort of reingratiate himself with his estranged wife and his estranged wife's incredibly uh, skeptical mother, and. Basically tries to sort of like land on his feet and, but he's always on the, he's always on the come up, right? He's always on the mm-hmm. looking for his break back into whatever version of the high life that he used to have. He's, this is a character who's always sort of talking about his, you know, how many, uh, porn awards he won at, uh, at, uh, oh, I, I've forgotten the acronym for it, but whatever the, 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 acronym for the porn awards and how many he's won and, and what you got to do to win it and why he deserved it and the women he was in scenes with didn't and he's like he's a scumbag but he's also the performance is so charismatic and like bafflingly likable even though the like the performance is also very very aware of what a piece of shit this guy is mm-hmm. but it's it's kind and of it's a, also set like on the eve of the 2016 election. Right. But the character is also himself to, supposed to be somewhat of a Trump allegory, correct? You're yes, you're definitely supposed to connect the dots from watching watching the movie, I sort of had this note of like we are going to be doomed for the rest of our lives to watch clips of Donald Trump running for president on television screens in the background of scenes of movies that we're watching for the rest of our lives. Like it's just going to happen. Um but you're definitely meant to draw parallels between the fact that you're seeing sort of Trump at this at this moment in 2016 where this kind of he was you know he was a joke in pop culture and you know we didn't really have to take him seriously but we underestimated just how insidious this person was and I think you're supposed to bring that a little bit into your understanding of the Simon Rex character we're like yeah this is a comedy we're watching yes this guy's a joke yes this guy sort of uh, is delusional about his own you know prospects for success and yet even while of all of that this guy is capable of doing real harm to people and um Yes, that's definitely a thing you're supposed to be uh, taking from this movie. I have uh, something I feel like I would run from the hills away from. Like, I don't want to see that movie. But I think Sean 
baker is someone that I can trust to do this in a way that's not going to make me want to, you know, self-immolate. It's an incredibly entertaining movie. Like, this is not a movie that, like, is constantly doing the, like, makes you think right thing. I think it's It definitely just... sounds more tangerine than it does Florida Project in terms of the tone of it from what I gather. Well, and it is also, not to, like, spoil... It is perhaps even more in love with the poetry of a donut shop than Tangerine, which like... How is that possible? How indeed? How indeed is that possible? And yet it exists. But there's also, it'll it'll make you think of Florida Project in certain ways as well. And it's just a really entertaining film. It's just like my uh, my, uh, friend Fran Hoffner, uh, we saw it at the same screening and she came out and I think her letterbox review was just like, this is a, this is a movie. This is doing some like real honest to God movie stuff. And like, it's true. It's just like it, it's a good time that is like, it's not empty calories, not to bring it back to the donut uh, metaphor. But Donuts yes. aren't empty calories. What are you talking about? All right. Um, boy, we are taking our time. We should really move through Taking our time. Let's uh, speed along. Uh, let's talk about The Velvet Underground, a movie that I actually got to see. It rules. It rules. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I mean, like, I can't really, like, it, it, this is just one of those things where I'm like, just trust me, guys. <laughs> the thing of... The most, one of the most boring genres that are just like everywhere in movies today is a talking head documentary about music. Yeah. So boring. So boring. There's a million of them. They are all the same. Doesn't matter who the subject is. This one does feel different. And I think the level of like invention that Todd Haynes brings to all of his movies, and especially now, it feels like, you know, with like, Dark Waters. I even feel this back with like something like Velvet Goldmine. He takes these genres that are overdone sometimes and brings really fresh perspectives and filmmaking techniques to them that make them very interesting. Like this isn't just a movie about the Velvet Underground. Like it's kind of about a whole time and place that this band essentially embodied. Um, and he does such a great job of creating that time and place through f- just simply through people's recollections of it, through archived video, through like it it's mm-hmm. a, it's amazing what he's able to do just with that, you know, material and to really like immerse you into a sub a subculture that like I it's not like I grew up being like really into the Velvet Underground or that kind of or like I was not like a kid who like watched Warhol movies to be avant garde or whatever you know what I mean like that yeah, was not we really cool, my my guys. thing and it really gave me a great sense of what this moment in the culture that was also happening while other moments in the culture were sort of parallel to it, the way it parallels itself to like the hippie moment or sort of what was going on in California at the time in a way that like really, again, gives you a sense of what the ethos of this like New York art scene was, which is like pretty sneering towards the California flower children, right? In a way Mm -hmm. that I found delicious and absolutely like, I get it. Like, you know, I really get what, you know, this mentality was at the time. And for a band like the Velvet Underground that, like, I was not super well-versed in, I thought it was, it told a really strong story. I also thought it really made great use of the fact that John Cale, who is the, uh, one of the surviving members of the band, has this incredible Welsh voice that, like, 
is fantastic for narrating. I want this person to narrate everything. <laughs> it's such a great he's got such a fantastic, you know, sort of storytelling voice. I think it's uh I think it makes fantastic use of that. Do we feel like this has any kind of documentary feature uh, prospects. I feel like at any time we get a director who's sort of well-known for making narrative films and they'll make a documentary and we'll be like, well, naturally, they'll be like a front-runner for documentary because like they're so great with narrative films. But I don't think that ever really pans out. I don't right? think that's always the case. I mean, but... And I'm not sure... I, <laughs> the thing is... Oscar loves these music documentaries, so maybe, but they also don't get Todd Haynes as much as right. I would love to see him finally be rewarded as a filmmaker by the Academy. Yeah. Um, I'm skeptical, but also, like, it could happen. But I also think of those, like, all those, like, Jonathan Demme music documentaries that, like, didn't ultimately right. end up succeeding with Oscars. So, like, it is, they do kind of pick and choose in a way. And, and also, like, yes, Oscar doesn't get Todd Haynes, and yet, like, they're not allergic to Todd Haynes. Carol got a bunch of nominations. Far From Heaven got a bunch of nominations. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not across the board, uh, nothing. Even Velvet Goldmine, which this movie shares, uh, you know, some title verbiage and very intentionally. I think this movie really made me realize that why Todd Haynes called Velvet Goldmine Velvet Goldmine and based his Ewan McGregor character in that movie at least partially on Lou Reed. And, and Iggy Pop. Right. Um, but there are definitely, you know, you you see what watching uh, the Velvet Underground, and you'll you'll see those moments where Lou Reed's biography sort of dovetails with the McGregor character in that movie. So clearly, like this is a subject that is close to Haynes's heart, and I think you you see that uh, reflected on the screen in theaters and on Apple TV Plus this coming Friday. Highly recommended. All right. Okay, talk to me about the French Dispatch, because, like, I feel like every festival run, maybe it's just my, you know, bubble online, but I feel like every festival this movie has gone to, people just don't like it. Did you like it? I did, and I feel like New York York Film Festival, from what I was hearing, I I think it's boomeranging a little bit. I think the kind of vaguely underwhelmed response at can and then the even and more telluride. uh even more underwhelmed response at telluride it's it kind of deflated that balloon enough that i think it came into new york film festival with a lot of diminished expectations in terms of this is going to be maybe one of the films of the year and I think then I was able to watch this movie with a little bit more like, all right, what's what's this movie's problem? What's what's going on? And for a lot of the movie, I was like, yeah, I'm not really I'm not connecting with this movie for whatever reason. It is very episodic. And one of the early episodes, the one sort of focused on Benicio del Toro and Adrian Brody was not doing it for me. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not really connecting with this movie. And then as it sort of moves on through its later movements, it kind of snowballed for me and it accumulated meaning and it accumulated impact for me. And I think by the time I got to the end of the movie and you get to this, like past this like fantastic 
Jeffrey Wright performance, which is in the last sort of major movement of this movie. And he's really fantastic. And it brings in, I think a lot of times we sort of write off Wes Anderson as a filmmaker without emotions. We sort of think of him as the sort of like aesthetic Android who's all just like, you know, dioramas and sort of, you know, center camera placements and all this sort of stuff. And, I think we kind of uh, forget the fact that like Wes Anderson does have emotional ties to these movies he makes. He's just a little peculiar about them. And I think by the time I got to the end of French Dispatch, I was like, yeah, this is the movie that Wes Anderson would make as a love letter to a free and well-funded press. Do you know what I mean? And (laughs) I really appreciated it because of that. And it, it, I did by the end of the movie I'm like I'm 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 meeting this movie on its level and I really was very appreciative of it. Is it one of the best movies of the year? No, but I also feel like by the time I got to it I didn't need it to be. So I think having lowered expectations helps. And whether that's, you know, movie clearing a lower bar than maybe it should clear if you are being made by a master filmmaker who's like internationally, you know, beloved and whatever, maybe, mm-hmm. but I also just like I'm more or less like Wes Anderson movies and I've made my peace with it. And a lot of people really don't. And like, that's cool too. <laughs> and it's, he's a very particular kind of filmmaker. And I think that comes with pros and cons. And it means that like a lot there's, of people are just not going to be into it. And that's fine. There's also cycles with Wes Anderson that he has gone through as a filmmaker where it's like, it feels like everybody dog piles on one thing, but then he boomerangs back to like, well, he's just universally beloved again. And I'm like, but you're not making the same complaints that you could make about this one. And like, I think it's just whatever kind of is in fashion. I also have, and like, maybe this is weird nuance, but I also feel like French Dispatch is another one of these movies that is getting an underwhelming response partly because of COVID delays. Mm. And it's like people are just sick of hearing about No Time to Die or Tenet. And it's like uh, these movies that in the past year and a half have underwhelmed. And I wonder if there's some psychological thing that it's just like they feel like old news, even though we haven't even seen them. I saw somebody tweet something like that about Dune, about like, has, has Dune been, you know, about to open in theaters for the last like 10 years? And it's like, no, it's actually only been the last two years. And it's because one of those years was there was a pandemic so like that's like that's just kind of it's you can't really do too much i I think it's i do think that there is something to the delay of some of these movies impacting how they're received i think that's definitely true because yeah it's just like it's you know so much anticipation and so much expectation to like oh my god save us you know save us from this horrible mood that we've been in for the last two years and And people have also moved on to newer and shinier things to get excited about And I also feel like I think Wes Anderson has also kind of attained this reputation as being a filmmaker of whimsy. And I think if you watch his movies, you see that like there is a kind of there is there are whimsical elements to all of these things, but there's also darkness in almost all of them. There's also always this like really, really decided melancholy and like. It's it's not you don't go to a Wes Anderson movie necessarily to sort of have your faith in the human spirit, you know, renewed. Right. Right. And I think sometimes because his aesthetic is so 
playful that people sort of mistake that for a kind of fancifully whimsical storytelling that like it's not quite that it's not quite you know feel good cinema yeah but anyway jeffrey wright rules and if they're if you know he probably will not i would say get a supporting actor nomination from this but if they mount a campaign for it it is what he deserves because he's quite good in it what I would say about the French Dispatch is my anticipation, and I could be proven very wrong. The thing that I said earlier about some of these, you know, uh, prestige or uh, awards positioned movies in the box office, I think the French Dispatch is going to be the one that isn't going to have that concern. I think French Dispatch is actually probably going to do well because Wes Anderson has enough yeah. you know fans that this is probably going to at the end of the year be one of the ones that did better at the box office than like yeah. Tammy Faye did you right know? so the next movie i saw is i think the one with the oh, brightest boy. sort of awards prospects from this so i saw the new jaden campion movie the power of the dog this was my favorite thing that i saw at the festival it lived up to I would say pretty lofty expectations. By the, by the time I saw it, it had already played Venice and Telluride, right? That's what it was? Yes. Well, and Toronto. And Toronto, but. right. But we were not able to see it because we were not Correct. special. So, yeah, expectations were high. Cumberbatch was getting raves. Campion was getting raves. Kirsten Dunst, all this stuff. And I was so hyped for it. And it lived up to my expectations while also really surprising me i had not read the novel that this was based on the kind of the movie i was expecting from what i had heard about this movie was what i got in i would say maybe the first half of this movie and then it really Mm -hmm. goes some places that i was very delightfully surprised by it really it tells a real gnarly kind of interesting story that takes all of these characters who you really feel like you have a grasp on and really you know moves them into some some places that makes them really more interesting than what you think they're going to be chris you've read the novel but have not uh, seen the movie. i did and i mean ever since i've read the novel my excitement for this movie if it already wasn't sky high is basically at a fever pitch i know that jane campion does kind of her own thing and makes a few changes to the novel, which to me is only more exciting because on its face, it doesn't seem like the type of thing that Jane Campion does would do. But then when you actually think of like the character dynamics and like, I will just say uh, who emerges victorious from this story. I think it makes absolute sense that she would be interested in telling this story and, you know, maybe telling it in her own way. Um, we should, this is something we should preserve story details on. Oh, absolutely. I'm not spoiling anything. Um, but I, I, I will say she photographs New Zealand for Montana in a way that is really, really gorgeous. I feel like we're going to be talking about this movie for a while. I feel like this is the movie that I think the critical reaction to this movie is so uniformly strong that that will carry it towards into award season. And like this is maybe not like your best picture front runner, but I would be I would be decently surprised if this does not get a nomination for best picture just from the way that it's been received so far and just how good it is and how 
Uh, it looks like it's going to be Netflix's big push, too. Absolutely. And it does seem like they have a real shot. I mean, and I'll say, like, I've been so I've been so long disillusioned for, like, rooting for anybody for anything because, like, I, you know, following the Oscars since as young as I have, I've had my heart broken too many times. I don't root for anybody anymore, it feels like. But, like, I want to see Jane Campion with that Best Director Oscar in her hand. I would love that. I think she's definitely... And so the way that the best picture and best director categories sort of have been going in the last say decade or more which is we're seeing a lot more splits than we have been although the last couple of years uh while there were people who were predicting possible splits uh parasite and nomadland both managed to win both picture and director but mm-hmm. i still do feel like we are in an age where Splitting Best Picture and Best Director is a lot more common, and the ways that they tend to split are director tends to go to the more sort of broadly, technically accomplished, sort of difficult degree of difficulty kind of a movie, and Best Picture has trended to go towards movies that have a little bit more... They, you know, they capture your heart a little bit more. They capture your sort of uh, emotions. This is the, you know, the Revenant versus uh, Spotlight split. This is the, um, uh, bring, remind me of some other Green recent. Book and Roma. Right. Ugh. Yeah. Right. But yes. Finger quotes crowd pleasers when, you know, right. perhaps we, they are not actual crowd pleasers. Well, they pleased a crowd that is not us, but, you know, right. Yes. They definitely pleased a crowd. And I feel like you could look at the power of the dog and just be like, yes, this is absolutely a, a wondrous technical achievement in terms of just what this movie looks like and feels like and the way it moves and the way the story sort of, you know, slinks and slides around you a little bit. And I could absolutely see Campion sort of reaping the rewards of that. I think she's definitely a major contender for best director this year and good for her. I also I didn't seen for the movie. I hope she does. <laughs> I also feel as like as much as I do not like to say that side unseen about things, yeah. I hope she does. <laughs> I really I mean I expect you're going to really like it and I hope you get to see it soon. I think Cumberbatch is absolutely in the in the top echelons of the discussion for best actor. I don't know if I would necessarily, you know, predict him to win this far out, but like would not be would not be surprised. He's quite quite good and in you know, in some kind Kirsten's of surprising ways, too, right? What's that? Kirsten's definitely getting nominated too, right? Like I, I, like I felt like there were some initial reservations in the responses to this movie about her chances, but like lately, when you see like her architectural digest campaign i'm like she's gonna be everywhere and unless it ends up being like one of those j-lo situations where people in the industry just don't like her right she's in so here's what i'll say i think the fact that they're campaigning her so aggressively is good i think the fact that they seem to be positioning her for supporting actress rather than best actress is good uh she i think if you watch the first half of this movie you feel like she's your she's your lead uh, character here and then the movie sort of like moves to other characters and mm-hmm. so she's definitely Which is true of the book because the yeah. book does like 
in a really impressive way, uh, shift between characters with ease yes. and regularly throughout. But like the two that it focuses on the most are her and Cumberbatch's characters. Yeah. So that is definitely the case through most of it. But like in the last, I would say probably third of the movie and maybe even more, um, it kind of moves away from her character a little bit, which is not mm-hmm. in any way a detriment to her performance. I think it's a great performance. It's also, though, it's not a super hooky performance, if that makes sense. So, like, I do feel like she's a strong contender for a nomination. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be the most surprised, just because, like, we've been on this train with Kirsten Dunst before. And although we haven't been on this train with a movie that has been in contention on its own before. You know what I mean? Like melancholia kind of self-immolated itself. Bachelorette was never going to be part of any conversation. So she was always like justice for Kirsten Dunst from like the back row or whatever. She's always one of those performers that I've said, sometimes it's about being in the right movie. Right. She's never been in the right. The closest she's ever come to an Oscar nomination was interview with the vampire. And she was on an Island with that movie. Like that movie was not a best picture contender or in, in any of the other acting categories. She like, she sort of powered through that on, her own uh momentum and they probably would have had to have taken that movie more seriously as a movie than as a crafts play to nominate especially a child's performance right and marie antoinette is a similar way where it's just like th- that got decided early on that that movie was going to be a crafts category movie and not a you know picture director actor movie and yeah i think it's just i think you're right she's never really been in a movie that has been in the best picture race. So this will definitely help her. And again, it's a supporting performance that is a hefty supporting performance. So like there will be plenty to work with and she's fantastic. She's really, really great in it. It's just, again, I don't know if there's necessarily a hook and sometimes you do need a hook. You know what I mean? So the hook might be just her career. But but how long but, she's been in the industry for for the academy that that's a hook of enough I think. My only drawback there is is Kirsten Dunst's career a hook for us, but maybe not as much for them. I mean, does Kirsten I Dunst mean like... much more to us, young you know, uh, millennial Gen X whatever uh, uh, gay boys than? <laughs> Okay, but I don't I don't want to pull us too far afield, but I also feel like that is going to be part of the hook for Kristen Stewart. And if it works for Kristen Stewart and doesn't work for Kristen Dunst, that's going to be some bullshit. That's well, all I want to say. But Kristen Stewart, <laughs> Kristen Stewart made a whole lot of money for a whole lot of people a lot more right, recently. Right. A lot more recently than Kristen Dunst was in those Spider-Man movies. So like that I think matters. Um, but anyway, yeah, we, uh, Spencer is a conversation we'll have at a different time for sure. At a different date. Also, uh, my question mark for this movie yeah. is Cody Smith McPhee, because I've seen a lot of people really praising his performance he rules. and like, he rules. not that I'm doubting it, not that I'm doubting that he's great, but this is an actor who I feel like I've said it on mic before has given some really bad performances. What are you thinking of? In my opinion. What are you thinking? I'm of? thinking of, I mean, like, again, child performances, so, and he's an adult now, so different actor, but like, I love the Let the Right One In remake, but he's really bad on that, in my opinion. I thought he was really, like, movie dismantling bad in the road. But then again, that's when he was a kid. 
That was but when he was a kid, and I also don't movie. think too many people will remember that, is the other thing. I don't think... Right. Those are movies nobody saw. <laughs> and this is... His is a character and a performance that does have a hook, which is going to be necessary for him because he does not have the intangibles that Kirsten, or, that Kirsten Dunst has in terms right. of uh, name recognition and career and all of that. So... But, like, he's so impressive. I went into this movie feeling like Jesse Plemons was going to be the supporting actor to look at. and like He's the character that really goes away. Ple- if, if it's like the book. Yes, it is. And, like, he's great when he's there. And there's this is no shade against Jesse Plemons. But, like, you walk out of that movie. By the end of that movie, you're just like, oh, shit. He's so good. And uh, But it's also a character who is, by necessity, a little bit distancing he's a sort of he's closed off he's sort of emotionally unwarm you know what i mean that's sort of that's the character Mm -hmm. so i don't think that's as much of a problem in best supporting actor i think that's a category that like accommodates that kind of a character actually pretty well and And what the hell is going on in supporting actor this year kind of yeah yeah so i definitely feel like if if they're gonna push him in this category i think that's a smart call i think he is so, so, so impressive. All right. If not, he'll get a shot next year with the Scorsese. Yes. One of the many black and white movies that I feel like are in contention this year between uh, Macbeth, or Tragedy of Macbeth, rather, and Passing, and... Uh, a portion of French Dispatch. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is the new Mike Mills movie, Come On, Come On, which is could oh, be boy. subtitled, uh, What If an Uncle Really Loved His Nephew? Which is... This is why I'm going to fucking lose it at this movie. It's a very, very sweet movie featuring a very, very good performance by Joaquin Phoenix. And you know I am not easy to come by that sentence. So I really enjoyed it. I think so much of the movie is Joaquin Phoenix and this kid. It's not cutesy. It's cute. Like, it's definitely not like if you are if you are predisposed to being like grumble grumble cute kid you know whatever then like yeah you'll probably be able this to say this is why grumble, i think the kid. new york audience didn't like it i feel like i saw uniformly uh if kindly dismissive at least dismissive to outright disliking this movie i will say but maybe it's not for the new york audience i don't know it's pretty neat i mean it you know it it was decidedly less warm of a response than the Telluride response was. That's interesting. It's 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 pretty love lettery to New York while it's here, because um, part part of the movie uh, definitely bulk of it I would say takes place in New York. It's less of a movie than Twentieth Century Women was, and if we're talking about the Mike Mills sort of like filmography, mm-hmm. I def- it did not move me in a way that Twentieth Century Women did. It is a little uh, more slight. It's quieter. I think it's very effective. I think, again, a movie can be a great movie without being an Oscar movie. I don't see this being an Oscar movie, really. And and maybe it's screenplay contender, depending on how sort of those categories shake out, how crowded those categories are. I know they seem to be pushing Gabby Hoffman for supporting actress. She's good, but she's not in any way flashy. And... I would be a little surprised if she ends up making it the whole way. I, think- I mean, even for Joaquin Phoenix, who essentially is this his first movie since Joker? It could be like the Oscar victory lap, but it also doesn't sound at all 
like the type of thing they reward him for. You took the words out of my mouth in both respects. It could definitely be a Halo nomination, that sort of Charlize Theron in North Country thing, where it's like, yes, we were right to give you an award, and we will prove that by nominating you again so quickly. But it is very, very much not the kind of thing that they've nominated him for in the past. And it is probably and why I like him so much. it takes less competitive races to get a nomination like that to happen. And I don't think – there's a uh, – yeah, I don't – Best actor is already seeming pretty busy, right? Yeah. Uh, Will Smith, Denzel Washington, Benedict Cumberbatch. There's There's a lot going on already. So – I would not be surprised to see Come On, Come On walk away with no Oscar nominations, and I don't think that would take away from it being a rather, you know, lovely little film. Again, I didn't, you know, I didn't weep through as much of the movie as I kind of thought I would. I definitely, again, was a lot more moved by 20th Century Women, but it's a good movie, and uh, I was very, very glad that I saw it. To wrap things up, let's talk about the closing film. The one that you have seen and I have not because I screwed up the digital screening window. And (laughs) you know what? Sometimes that happens. Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers. Holy shit. I feel like the New York response is even better than the Venice response and... uh, they are right in that regards. Um, I saw people saying that it is Almodovar's best movie. I would not wow. go quite that far because he is too prolific to just say that right away. <laughs> you can't just say um, that. Uh, prominent critics just saying that. Yeah. Like, have you seen... <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> it's tremendous. Um, I think it is very much in Alm- Almodovar in some modes we know him for some that we don't. I think it is a tremendously political film in a way that moved me quite a bit. Interesting. Um, What I would safely more safely say is that it is one of the very best, if not the best uh, Penelope Cruz performance. Uh, Once again, uh, Pedro has been uh, screwed, finger quotes, he already has uh, uh, this Oscar, but he's been uh, bumped out of uh, international feature contention. I don't think that's going to hurt the movie's chances elsewhere. I actually think it's going to help. Pedro Almodovar has already graduated to the level of... He's a contender. His non-English language movies are a contender in other categories, no matter whether they are a contender in international film. Like he's he's leaped that troposphere to you know he's and I mean we talk uh, more and more, and I do think more and more it is truly going to be a thing where uh, you know the, it it's something that people are going to be pushing for and jockeying for um, in the awards race of getting. Uh, if not outright attempting to get a lone director nomination, but to get director <laughs> nominations for non-English language films, I think this movie could do it. I absolutely think that it could be original screenplay contender. Um, what do you think about Penelope uh, Cruz's chances in Best Actress? I think they're really good. Yeah, I think she's that good. Do you think um, she could she's win? She's been nominated. Uh, there again, you talk about the hooks. You know, what's yeah. the narrative there? Yeah. Aside from the quality of her performance and like the type of uh, emotional things that she has to navigate in this movie. Yeah. Uh, you talk about hooks and like when we talk about Pedro and when we talk about her, we talk about their screen relationship together. She's been nominated for one of his movies before and like 
it's a huge part of her career. She is a major collaborator for him as well. Like that, that definitely helps. Um, I sometimes I think, think about Penelope Cruz's tremendous. career and the fact that she's had three Oscar nominations and her directors for those three movies are Pedro Almodovar, Woody Allen, and Rob Marshall. It's so, <laughs> how many actresses have that kind of a wide terrain in terms of their Oscar nominations. I find that so incredibly funny. All very different performances, and I think yes. that this would be uh, another thing that like makes it stand out from the rest of those performances, too. Um, I'm trying to avoid uh, you know, talking plot details. Sure. I, I, this was one of the ones that I kind of luckily got to see you know, without really any plot details other than knowing that it was a... Um, you know, two mothers giving birth at the same time. Yeah. I didn't watch the trailer, so I don't know what all is out there about that movie. I th- I would say if you can go into this movie not knowing where it goes, what it's about, yeah. do that. Because not only will it make the movie as impressive as I think it is, but her performance especially. I'm very um, excited. I'm very excited to see it. People should be excited for this movie. I, I'm d- skeptical that, you know, plot details won't come out because there's it's a Christmas week release. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I- incredible movie. Fantastic. I will say, again, this feels like this felt like I was back at a festival, not only because I was seeing things in person, but I think also just the quality of the films that I saw. I did not see a dud in the bunch. I, I you know, and was I, you know... Cherry picking, maybe, but like there's always going to be something that you're super excited for that lets you down. And I really did not have that major letdown with anything that I saw. I was so incredibly happy with uh, those films. I, you know, good on New York Film Festival for selecting a really great lineup. Good on them for, you know, putting forth a great festival in really challenging times and um, you know, could not be more thankful to have had it at this moment. So thank you for all of your hard work, Film uh, Society of Lincoln Center workers. And once again, we support your unionization efforts. 100%. And it really does feel like, I, now it feels like uh, Oscar season is upon us. You know what I mean? Now I feel like, all right, starting gun has, has well and truly gone off and we are off it's to It's weird races. that New York feels like the true starting gun of the year because yep. like, it feels like- yep. Like you're saying, you feel like you didn't see a dud. It that has made it feel more like the starting gate yes. than the three. What is usually positioned for Oscar uh, bigger? I think because Toronto did not have that sort of people's festival feel to it yet, they're not quite fully back yet. Telluride is always going to be sort of cloistered off, and Venice is, you know taking place across an ocean. Do you know what I mean? So this really Mm -hmm. did feel like for this year, New York Film Festival felt much more of an epicenter than it has in many, many, many years. And I'm very happy for them. So we'll see what happens with AFI. Absolutely. All right. But uh, that is our bonus episode on the New York Film Festival. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Christopher, where can the listeners find you and your uh, particular memorias? Uh, you can find the power of my dog <laughs> at Letterboxd and Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. 
I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled the same way. Watch me flail about trying to watch 31 horror movies in 31 days for October. It's an incredibly novel concept. Only I have ever figured this out. Um, Mary, we reject that black. (laughs) We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility, so quit fucking that Cadillac already and write us a nice review, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Oh, oh, oh.